Thank you, Rick and Nancy. Be turned to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1 will begin in verse 1. Had a great service this morning. It was indeed good to meet uh, Brother Larry and Miss Tammy. I had never met them face to face. We've communicated before and we've supported them for quite a while. And it was great to have them here and give the reports uh, of what's been going on in Lusk in the Ukraine. Uh, the partnership between uh, missionaries and churches goes back as far as the first missionaries. And of course, along with this partnership comes the reports from the missionaries. The report from the missionary, the Apostle Paul, to the churches composes the letters that we have here. And what we have in Philippians is a report to a sponsoring or partnering church. I want us to look at what the Apostle Paul has to say about this church in Philippi uh, that was a sponsoring church as he gives a report of what's going on. Uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, would you stand as the scriptures read, please? Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons, Grace to you and peace from God and our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together, please. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, for the biblical basis of churches partnering with missionaries. And Father, we ask that you would make our church the missionary church that we ought to be. We thank you for the missionary partners that we have, the men and women who are on the field. We thank you, Father, for the good job that they're doing. And we ask that we would do an equally good job to do our part. And Father, show us all our part in your plan, whether it be over here or over there. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Paul's writing back to the church at Philippi. Of course, Paul doesn't have a whole lot of progress reports here because Paul is now in jail because of his testimony for the gospel. But while he's incarcerated, he begins to think about these churches and he begins to send them letters. He could send them out with some people, of course, that are mentioned in these letters, and he begins to thank them for what's going on. The first thing we notice is an acknowledgement of their investment in his work. He, of course, sends the greeting to them, and in verse 5, he says he thanks God, in verse 4, upon the remembrance of the Philippians, and he says, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, when we think about fellowship, there's several things we think about. A lot of times when we think about fellowship in Baptist circles, we think about the fellowship hall. And what goes on in the fellowship hall is uh, food. And we think about a fellowship supper. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. There's some, some, some good memories about fellowship supper. A lot of times we say, well, we like the fellowship in our church. And what that means is our interactions with each other. In other words, as we interact with each other, it's good to be together. And that's a good, valid definition of fellowship. And I'm sure 
he was appreciative of the fact that they had communicated with him. They weren't with him at that particular time. But now Kenneth Weiss, the Greek scholar, says all these are valid English translation of the word fellowship. But in the Greek literal translation of fellowship, it was a joint participation in a common interest and activity. In other words, Paul said, I thank God for your fellowship in the gospel. What he's speaking of is both parties did something, or all parties did something. There were several churches involved. But when he said, I thank God for your fellowship in the gospel, what he meant is I'm thankful for what you're doing to help me do what I'm doing. In other words, we're doing this together. And, of course, what did they do? Well, Paul, we're all familiar with what he did. We have, of course, a lot of information about what the Apostle Paul did, if you read through the book of Acts and then in some of his letters. We have a very clear understanding about what the Apostle Paul did. In this letter, let's look at what he invested. What what did he put into it? Now, look in chapter 3, verse 7. Paul had recounted just all he had going for him before he met Christ. And he says in verse 7 of chapter 3, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yes, I indeed also count all things Loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus Christ my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and to count them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain the resurrection from the dead. There's a word that's mentioned three times here in just a couple of verses. Loss. Paul lost some things. Paul gave up some things. And Paul said, everything I've given up, I just count them but rubbish compared to what I've gained in Jesus Christ. And he gave up some important things. It wasn't that he gave them up because they weren't valuable, because they weren't important, they weren't significant. He said compared to Jesus Christ, the things that he invested, the things that he gave up, the things that he lost, weren't worth a second thought. That knowing Christ and being in fellowship of the sufferings of Christ a joint participant in the sufferings of Christ made all the loss worthwhile. When we think about our missionaries, I mentioned this this morning, a lot of times we don't think about their sacrifices on a personal uh, note uh, and in those terms till you think about leaving family behind and leaving comfort behind. Uh, We were discussing that this afternoon. I cannot even imagine 20 degrees below zero. They would have to bundle my bones up and put them in a sack and ship them home. I think I'd break into a thousand pieces. I just kind of imagine that kind of cold. And, of course, when we think about the other missionaries that are down in New Guinea, 
those in Honduras, those that give up the comforts that we just take for granted, they lose all of this. And you see, that was what Paul invested. And he told the Philippian Christians, and oh, by the way, you're a joint participant with me. You're a joint participant with me. Well, how did he do his work? He talks about the things or the things he gave up, the sacrifices he made. What of, his, what of himself did he invest in the work? Look in verse 12. Not that I've already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. How much of himself did he give for the work of Christ? All of himself. What did he say? He said, I press and I reach. Now that word press is another Greek athletic term when it talks about toward the end of a race when the runner sees the finish line and just gives it every last ounce of energy they have. They may have paced themselves as is a marathon, but they see the finish line. There's no reservation. There's no holding back. He says, I'm pressing. I'm giving 100% of myself to the work. And then he looks at the, the Philippian Christians and said, and you're a partner with me, a joint participant of this work. Wow. What an honor to be counted in on the same team as people like this. And that's why when we have these missionaries that come in and we start talking about their sacrifice, their cost, their work, what they're doing, and for us, them to call us, Bristol Baptist Church, here in the Conference of America, their partners, that's a high honor. So, what did the Philippians do? They had a long and consistent history of support. Notice what Paul said. He said this, I am thankful for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. You see, this wasn't just a one-time thing that they did. What, what is this first day that he's talking about? Well, in the book of Acts chapter 16, Paul goes to Philippi. And Paul finds the spot by the river. There was no synagogue because they didn't have ten Jewish men. He finds a spot by the river where prayer was being made. There were Jewish women by the river having their prayer services. And he goes and preaches Christ to him and a lady named Lydia. This is in Philippi. A lady named Lydia comes to know the Lord and is baptized. Immediately after she's baptized and comes into the family of God, she says, why don't you guys come and stay at my house? From the first day she invested in the work of Paul, in the work of Jesus Christ, because she said, you should not have to pay for lodging. You shouldn't have to scramble around and try to find a place. She was a very wealthy lady, had a big house, and said, you can stay with me as long as you're in Philippi. So from the first day that Paul preached in Philippi, the Philippians were investing in his work. 
It's quite interesting from the first day until now. And Greek scholar Kenneth Weiss puts it this way. He says in the original Greek, there's a definite article in front of now. So what he, what he said was, from the first day until the now. Now, he said, that doesn't mean a whole lot to us, but it's a very, very polite way that the Apostle Paul was referring to the most recent investment, the most recent offering. From the first day until the most recent offering. Now, he mentions that again in chapter 4, verse 14. Chapter 4, verse 14. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. But now you Philippians know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but seek the fruit that abounds to your account. And indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you. A man named Epaphroditus made a trip. He made a trip with some things that the people at Philippi had sent the Apostle Paul. They knew he was in jail for the cause of Christ. And in jail, they didn't take good care of you. If you didn't have a relative in town, you didn't eat well or at all. But Paul had people who were sending to him. Now, that's some confidence in a missionary. When he's in jail, you don't know how long. And you're still willing to support that man. You see, for the people at Philippi thought the gospel was worth supporting and the potential of Paul and his ministry, even though right now he was in a jail, they continued to support him. They could not give Paul's part. They could not give what Paul gave. They could not do what Paul did. But they could do what they could do. And when you put them together, Paul could do more better because of the Philippian church. When he says fellowship, they were hundreds of miles from each other. But the word fellowship meant they were joint participants. Isn't that something, to be joint participants? Now, I'm honored to be a joint participant in the gospel efforts in Lusk, Ukraine, with a team like Brother Larry and Tammy. I'm honored that we could be considered their partners. So I ask him, in front of you guys, what do you need that we could help you with? Is there something that you need financially? Usually when you ask, a lot of times they'll say, well, and we've done this before, there's some property we need. We, we bought a piece of property down at Belize, if you remember. There's some equipment we need. There is a sound system that uh, they needed there in Ghana, West Africa. Every now and then we buy trucks. We've bought trucks for several missionaries. Raised the money, got other churches on board. We took up our offering, sent some money so they could have a new building in, in uh, Romania. We, we've done that. So I said, what do you need? What is your challenge? He didn't mention property. 
buildings, projects, or equipment. Brother Larry mentioned people. He mentioned investment in people. Let me introduce you to some people he didn't have time to introduce you to, but I'm glad that we were able to share a lunch because this is some of the most exciting information that he shared with me. It's a married couple, Oleg and Dasha. He mentioned their last name, but I couldn't pronounce it. I didn't even hear it well enough to pronounce it, so let me tell you about Oleg. Oleg is the youth pastor of the Water of Life Church. He's the youth pastor, and in this unchurched area, he has an outreach and a personality and a way to, to, to uh, reach out to kids. He's got about 20 to 40 young people, 20 to 40 young people. And, of course, he not only has, of course, youth Bible studies and so forth, but he puts them to work. The COVID virus has gone through their communities as well. And a lot of families are facing hardship. As you know, the pay's not real well anyway in uh, Ukraine. And what he does is people have given him money and he'll go to the grocery store and buy baskets of food. And he gets his young people together and his youth group goes and delivers that food in the community. What they're doing, of course, is spreading the love of Christ, helping feed the hungry, which the Bible says do, and building trust and goodwill for the Water of Life Church in a very skeptical community. He's excellent in outreach. He's excellent in speaking to people. And, of course, since he's one of them, he's able to speak to them in their language, and he's able to share the gospel on a one-on-one -on -one basis. Excellent guy. Good guy. Let me tell you about Dasha's wife. Dasha was on the Ukrainian Olympic bicycle team. That's quite impressive. On the bicycle team. That's a lifelong dream come true. She accepted Christ. Of course, and was baptized into the church. As you know, that could lead to a lot of problems in homes because of the Orthodox Church. She accepted Christ and was baptized, and some of her teammates came to her baptism, pretty close group, about seven teammates. They stayed for the service. In time, another teammate accepted Christ. So now there's another teammate on the bicycle team that's becoming a Christian. Third one is expressing interest. Coach calls her into the office and says, if you really see the need of being part of a church, then you need to be a part of the Orthodox Church. If you continue being a part of the Water of Life Church, you're off the team off the team what would you do what would you do if your kids came home said my coach told me I'm off the team if I, if I stay in church what, what would you do lifelong dream she chose Christ got booted off the team
her other teammate, and they didn't know how she would do because she was a brand new Christian. She chose Christ, got booted off the team. You say, well, man, that is, that is some kind of faith to be, that's a lifelong dream, but it's even more than that. You see, it's a socialist country. Therefore, the athletes are paid their room, their board, a stipend, salary. They're paid to ride bicycles. So she lost her job. That's the kind of people we're dealing with here. You're off the team. You're out of a job. If you stay in with these people, what are you going to do? She stepped up, said, I choose Jesus Christ. That's the kind of people that we're dealing with. In time, three of the girls were off the team. This took some time. In time, the coach determined, if I'm going to have a team, I'm going to have to change my way of thinking. And he called him and asked him to come back on. But it wasn't, it wasn't immediate. And she didn't know that was going to happen. She very clearly said, I'll count all things the loss for the excellency of Jesus Christ. That's the kind of people we're dealing with, with Oleg and Dasha. Now, here's where you come in. Oleg, of course, is trying to make ends meet with a little job. And what the church wants to do is be able to pay him a salary for being there youth guy, associate, whatever he's doing at the church. They want to pay him about $300 a month. But he said another couple of churches are on board already. So I just said, well, let me just throw this at you. If we were to increase our giving to your work fund to $100 a month, would that take care of Oleg? He said, yes, it would. So what I'm going to do is let you think about that. We can do it several ways. You can say, hey, you can count me in on some of that. It's on a temporary basis, three years. Because what we try to do as the BMA is the church always works to a point of independence. So when the American money's gone and the American missionaries are gone, they're standing on their own two feet, and it's a temporary three-year obligation to take care of Oleg until the church is taught how to tithe. And I think with a guy like this, they're going to bring in more members. And somebody might say, well, I'll pitch in, or I'll do this, and I'll do that. But let me tell you, next business meeting, it's coming. So be thinking about it. Be deciding if you want to up your giving just so we can make sure we can take care of this young man. So what I'm saying is this. He didn't ask us to invest in buildings or property. He said, I'd like for you to think about investing in people. And he did that because I asked him. He, he wouldn't have brought that up on his own. Uh, but think about that. Would you like to be partners with this kind of couple, Oleg and Dasha, who are willing to step out there on faith and show the world what it is to be a real follower of Christ? Can we be challenged to give extra to make sure that we can be in fellowship, joint participants with these kind of people? And even though we've never met them, they're thousands of miles away, we're in fellowship with them, and we share in the work that they do. You think about it, but then again, let's think about what we just talked about. If we're confronted with a sacrifice 
or a loss to stand for Jesus, are we made of the same stuff? Are we made of the same stuff? Are we willing to put it all on the line for Jesus Christ? Is there anything before we close?